Squeeze the Election, the podcast, is your shortcut to the federal election. Each week, we'll give you the talking points on the policy, the politics, the gaffes and why it all matters. The Squeeze is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Welcome to the second last pop-up podcast of the federal election campaign. Welcome Claire Kimball, my co-host on the Squiz Today podcast, and Greg Baxter, who's been helping us write the Squiz the Election email. Pens down, team. Final email has gone out. Amazing. Where did that five weeks go? Well, as we said in the Squiz yesterday... Is it time? Yes, it is. (laughs) In the podcast today, we'll sum up each of the major parties' pitch to voters. We'll give you a snapshot of the seats to look out for on election night. And of course, we'll test Claire and Greg's rigour in a game of who said it. As is normal in the final week of a campaign, the parties have been crisscrossing the country, reiterating to voters their policy positions. But let's look forward to polling day. Numbers out by the Electoral Commission this morning show over 4 million people have already placed their vote. That compares to 2.5 or so at the same time last election. That's a lot of people. However, there are still plenty of us who are rocking up to the booth tomorrow. So let's start with a summary from each of you on the major parties' key election themes. Claire, we'll start with you. In a few sentences, why do the Libs want us to re-elect them? They're really standing on a platform of strong economic management. They say that our economy is heading towards some difficult times. You only have to look at things like the housing market going down, uh, low inflation rates, low wages growth and low economic growth uh, to know that we're heading towards some choppy waters and they say that they're best placed to steer Australia through that. Greg, what's Labor's pitch to voters? Well, um, as you just heard, the coalition is all about staying the course and Labor's all about change. It's all about change and it's all about a time for change. And I think their, their core narrative is about fairness. Uh, and Shorten said at the beginning he wanted to make this election a referendum on wages, um, and they've talked a lot about tax uh, as a means to fund a big spending government, a big spending on government services. And the other, and the other big theme which came out again yesterday very strongly uh, in his speech in Blacktown was climate change. And I think they finished the week strongly trying to get climate change back front and centre uh, of this campaign. We've chatted about a lot of the the big policy discussions in previous podcasts and also in the Squeeze the Election email, and I've put a link to some of that content in your episode notes uh, if you'd like to read a bit more on policy. So we've lined up, Claire, we've had our sausage, we're settling in for a big Saturday night in front of the telly watching the results come in, that's what the three of us will be doing anyway. (laughs) Broadly, the number you're looking out for is 76. If one party wins 76 seats, they've won a majority and will form government. Any less than that, and well, it's really close and there's going to need to be some arrangements made with minor parties and independents. And if you remember back to 2010, that's what happened. As people watch, Claire, one of the things to look out for, and we talked about this a little bit last week, will be seats where an independent candidate is a threat. The obvious and most prominent ones are Warringah, where Tony Abbott's being challenged by Zali Stegall, and Wentworth, where independent Karen Phelps is looking to retain that seat after winning it in a by-election last year. But there are plenty of others across the country. Yeah, another that's interesting is Mayo in South Australia. Rebecca Sharkey there uh, won that long-held Liberal seat and she's up against Georgina Downer, who is Alexander Downer's daughter, the former Foreign Minister. That's certainly an interesting one. We've got Cowper on the New South Wales uh, North Coast. It's a seat, again, that's been a, a coalition seat, a national seat for years and 
years and years. Rob Oakeshott, who's a former independent, is looking at having a go there. And of course, we've got Farrah, which is along the Murray River from Albury up the South Australian border there, which is facing some water issues. The Liberal there, uh, Susan Lee, is being challenged by the Albury Mayor, who's a, a guy called Kevin Mack. So some very interesting battles there. Greg, to you, and this one's for the people who either A, want to have an early night on Saturday night, or B, might be doing a bit of flicking between Netflix and the election and paying half, half paying attention. What are the seats that might start to swing early in the night and will therefore indicate whether there's likely to be a change of government? Well, I think you've got to look at Queensland. I mean, I think, I think it's generally accepted that um, Victoria mm. is going to be strongly Labor. So then I think you have to turn your attention to Queensland. And in Queensland, there's really two things to think about. One is uh, central and far north Queensland, where you've got seats like Herbert, which is the most marginal seat in the country. And you've got Capricornia, which is held by a margin of less than 1%. Uh, and that's right in the middle of, I guess, the Adani battle, if I could call it that. You've got Flynn, mm. which is another ultra-marginal. Uh, and then up the top, you've got um, uh, Leichhardt, which is currently held on a 4% margin. Uh, it's been a Liberal national seat for a long time, but it's it's a four-cornered contest, this one, including not just Labor, but the United Australia Party and, of course, the Catter Party. And then down near Brisbane or in Brisbane, you've got uh, Ford, which is held by a margin of less than 1%. Uh, that's at very much 50-50. You've got Dixon, where Peter Dutton is fighting to, to, uh, to hang on there. Uh, and then you've got the seat that I'll probably be looking at most closely, which is which is Petrie, which has gone with the government. Petrie's held on a margin of 1.6%, but it, it's gone with the government 15 of the last 16 elections. So eyes firmly on Queensland, eyes firmly on Victoria. Western Sydney is usually um, a good place to watch, and there's been a lot of talk about that. What about Tassie and, and WA, Claire? Tassie is mostly labour-held. There's, of course, Andrew Wilkie, the independent there around Hobart, but uh, the coalition thinks they're in with a chance to pick up a couple of seats in the north. Bill Shorten and Labor, though, have been spending quite a bit of time there too and they'll want to hang on to the seats that they have. And WA? WA is also an interesting one. It's been a, a state that has largely federally gone uh, in the coalition's direction, but there's a sense that Labor might be in the hunt to pick up a couple of seats there too. In the Northern Territory, there are two federal seats. Both are held by Labor. Solomon, which takes in Darwin, has fallen the way of the CLP in the recent past. The CLP are the Liberals, the country Liberal Party. Jacinta Price, a prominent Indigenous woman, is running for the CLP in Lingiari. That covers the remainder of the Territory. So everything outside the capital, that could be an interesting one. Claire, you're kicking back Saturday night with your Savvy B. Greg has said he'll be looking closely at Petrie. If you had to pick one, what seat will you be watching? I'm going to be looking at Robertson, which is on the central coast of New South Wales. It's the true bellwether seat of elections gone by. Uh, it used to be Eden Monero, but it went against the grain last election. So Robertson, which has really followed the government of the day and swapped hands regularly when the government changes, that's the one I'm going to be looking out for. Any others, Greg, that you think we might want to pay attention to? Look, I'll be looking at Gilmore on the south coast of yes. New New South Wales. Um, very interesting four-cornered contest. Warren Mundine uh, is the Liberal candidate. He was essentially, you know, choppered in there by the Prime Minister uh, to replace the the existing Liberal who's now running as an independent. 
Uh, and then you've got Katrina Hodgkinson, who's uh, representing the Nationals, and then you've got a Labor candidate, uh, Fiona Phillips. This is a very, very uh, tight contest. Uh, and, and late yesterday, uh, Mundine wasn't polling particularly well. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens there. Well, actually, while we're talking about polling, as good as a, a crystal ball as we'll get really is the polling that we can see now, what's the most recent polls telling us will happen, Claire? They're predicting it to be tight, certainly tighter than they thought it was going to be uh, even a month ago, let alone three and six months ago. The coalition really has uh, tightened in the polls and that's not unusual. That does happen quite a bit. We'll need to wait and see whether that plays out. But uh, predictions of sort of 49-51 in Labor's favour uh, seems to be the consensus, but a Labor win. And not to be discounted, Greg, is the betting markets. A poll of sorts. Yes. Um, in fact, if you look at the betting markets, you'd say it's 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 all over and Labor's going to win by a huge margin because they're at about a dollar fifteen and the coalition's at, at anywhere from four dollars seventy five to five dollars fifty, which is ex- extraordinary odds. And one of the betting companies actually paid out yesterday. If you had a if you had bet on Labor up to this point, um, they paid you out yesterday. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Well, if you look at the polls, it could be very close. If you look at the betting markets, maybe it isn't. But either way, we'll all be paying attention, obviously, on Saturday night. And just quickly, Claire, if we could double back to the start of the podcast where I mentioned that over 4 million people have already voted. How does this affect the count on Saturday night? It could affect it quite a bit. We could be waiting until mid-next week for a result if it is as tight as the polls indicate that it will be. That's because all of those votes that have been lodged in early voting can't start to be counted until at least 6pm on Saturday night. Quite often uh, the booths don't actually count them until after Saturday night. That's usually because they're in such low numbers. But because there's expected to be a number of very, very tight races uh, and a lot of votes that have been lodged before Election Day, uh, those votes could actually be really crucial to the outcome. So we could be waiting for a while for some results. Moving on to the section of the podcast we call Who Said It, back by popular demand. We're getting some really good feedback on this segment. Must be the, <laughs> must be the buzzers. Yeah, oh. ever since I got my buzzer sorted out, it's been yeah. great. Oh, it's very technical here at the Squeeze. Um, <laughs> it's not all about you, Claire. It's just not all about you. <laughs> That's just not true. Trash talk started already. Calm down. Calm down. <laughs> So I'm going to read out a quote from the week and or, or just a quote. Actually, the first one's not from the week. There's a little hint for you. You tell me who said it and the context in which it was said. Ready? Yep. Any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up today is a bum. Uh, Greg. Bob Hawke uh, after Australia won the America's Cup in 1983. And incredible, incredible to think that was just in the early days of his prime ministership, yet, you know, just so emblematic of his time in office. Oh, and one of the interesting things was that what he said of that quote in later years was that he's very proud of what he said, but also a bit disappointed that other many brilliant things he'd said were never mentioned. Yes, he wasn't short of a bit of ego, <laughs> Bob Hawke, and one of the things we loved about him, I guess. Yeah, he passed away yesterday today and of course be remiss of us not to mention that in the podcast today all right back to the election ready ready we don't need more people like greg hunt and peter dutton in power (laughs) (laughs) let me finish we need more people who want action on climate change this election don't give the libs your vote claire (laughs) 
That was Alex Turnbull, the son of former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull. He has tipped some money into some robocalls in a couple of seats in Victoria, particularly seats where the members there, Greg Hunt and Kevin Andrews, were not particularly friends of Malcolm's. That is correct. On we march. Should you hand over your job or should we bring Carl back? Should we bring Carl back? (laughs) Too so slow today, Greg. Claire, tell us who said it, and then Greg can tell us about it. That's Pauline Hanson, leader of One Nation. It is. Yes, giving uh, Deborah Knight uh, on today, uh, Channel 9 today, a bit of uh, free career advice, I thought, yesterday. It was a sledge, wasn't it? An epic sledge. It was. All right, two more to go. Excuse us while we go check our calendar to ensure it's 2019, not 1979. That was the squeeze. Uh, We had a graph from Stream who've been helping us out during the election campaign that showed that of the election campaign in total, there were no women in the top 10 voices of print and online coverage for the whole campaign. Quite incredible. Yeah, Stream basically scrapes the media reports and compiles analysis on them and that was one of their findings. Excuse me, um, umpire, umpire. Yes. Uh, you, you've, you've asked a question to which the answer is something that Claire Kimball wrote <laughs> and Claire Kimball gets to answer the question. I never said this was fair and Call democratic. Call me old-fashioned, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your chance, Greg, last one. I challenge yeah. Mr Palmer to... <laughs> okay, you can have it, but I will tell people what I'm talking about first. I challenge Mr Palmer to a race up the parliamentary stairs, but I have to warn him that I take the stairs two at a time. Eh, eh, yes. eh. It's, oh, a, it's, a, it's the fabulous Bob Catter. It was Bob Catter. Clive Palmer suggested that uh, Mr Catter should retire gracefully and Bob didn't take that lying down and challenged him to a run up the stairs at Parliament House. That's a, that's a sight that none of us ever want to see. Well, if he gets elected to the Senate, you never know, we may see it. Oh, I for one would drive to Canberra to see that. I'm sure someone would put it on the telly for you, Claire. No, I'd, I, I would want to see that <laughs> in person. You need to get out more, Claire, honestly. <laughs> no, that really appeals oh, to me. Boy. Oh, it's time to finish this podcast now, I think. Thank you so much for tuning in to Squiz the Election. The fact of the matter is there's so much more we could have told you, but we hope this has armed you with some good election talking points and conversation starters. We'll be back on Sunday with our final podcast to make sure you know who's won, who's lost, or indeed, if it's so close, we don't yet have a result. We'll get you across that. Thanks, Claire and Greg. Thank you. Talk to you on the flip side. Oh, we've taken a... Step back in time to the 80s now. <laughs> she needs to get out more and she's being, she's channeling the 80s. I mean, what's going on? Here? I don't know. Um, have a great weekend. Happy voting. We'll chat to you on Sunday. The Squeeze is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Sign up at thesqueeze.com.au.